Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. It's time for Game Day, brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air, with your hosts, Tim Growl and Vince D'Addario. And we're glad you chose Game Day to start your day this football morning. Welcome to the area's and maybe the country's longest-running pregame show, now in its 49th year. We're here to provide you great insights, past and present, on your Fighting Irish as they get ready to take on the Panthers of Pittsburgh at 3.30 p.m. today, right here on WSBT. On today's show, we'll be joined by numerous former Notre Dame players that will discuss the past pit games, their memories, we'll get your feelings on this year's team, and also just catch up on what they're doing. Those players include the great Rocky Blyer, ESPN's Mike Golick Jr., recently graduated offensive lineman Trevor Rulin, from the 1988 National Championship team linebacker Wes Pritchett, and from the late 1990s, safety Justin Miko. Also, we'll check in with our former Irish player and now the head orthopedic physician for the team, Dr. Brian Radigan, who is with the team at the hotel in Pittsburgh. And we will have author, another edition of our segment of Who Are You with Irish Breakdown's Brian Driscoll. Whew, that's enough right there. <laughs> but, uh, that's just the preview. So we've got a great show for you. And when I say we, I really mean it. Back in the studio producing is Matt Embry. And now from his secret hideaway man cave is my cohort, Vince D'Addario. Good morning, Vince. Well, good morning to you, sir. It's a, you know, we got to sleep in today, a little hour later start, so that nothing wrong with that. Yeah, much better than we were talking about a couple weeks ago when we were going to have to have the show at 7 o'clock in the morning. Well, you know what? Uh, so far, I don't think we're going to have any noon starts. Keep your fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, cause that means for us, we're, we're about a 6 a.m. start. So yes. that would, that's going to be, that's going to be an early one. We're going to have some, uh, some coffee and donuts for that one. But, uh, so yeah, 3.30 start for, uh, Notre Dame and Pitt for Notre Dame's first road game of the season, which is very strange to say considering it's October 24th and this is the fifth game of the season. But, uh, Notre Dame's going on the road for the first time. So we'll see how they handle putting on the white jerseys and kind of being out of their normal, you know, routine, if you can say that they've had a normal routine, because I'm not sure that they <laughs> have. Normal this year, right? Yeah. So uh, it should be interesting. Game at Heinz Field. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's supposed to be about the same thing it was here last week. Uh, a little overcast, maybe some sunshine, about 54, 55 degrees. Yeah, today. not so too nobody's bad. nobody's got anything to complain about. Vince, <laughs> do you remember, is that is that turf or is that? Um, it's nat- natural nat- grass. It's natural yeah. grass there. Yep. Natural grass, and it, the wind won't be swirling, so that won't be an excuse. Uh, it, I don't believe it's going to rain, so that won't be an excuse. So we hopefully we see some good football from both teams. I um, wish maybe it was swirling a little bit because my understanding is their kickers kicked one fifty-eight yards. Uh, well, he against Boston College, he kicked a fifty-eight yard field goal to push it into overtime, but then missed an extra point to lose the game. So. <laughs> You know, he, he can hit from distance, but, uh, no, he, he's actually very hot and cold. Like, 
he'll he'll hit three field goals in a row, then he'll miss three field goals in a row, and he'll hit, and then he'll miss. So he he he's got a leg. He he can go the distance. Obviously, fifty eight yards. That's that's not a that's not a chip shot, but he pushed the extra point. They lost by a point to uh, Phil Dracovic and the Boston College Eagles. Maybe that's some consistency with him. We'll talk to Mike Golick Jr. about it. But at the end of that second overtime, you know, or the third overtime, Pitt missed the missed the field goal. Yeah, it was they a missed a number of yep. field goals in the game. And sure, he did too to make it an interesting <laughs> game. So we'll talk all about that. Uh, no doubt. Uh, later, later, later on. So um, let's see. We're waiting for our first guest. Hasn't quite a, got in here yet. So let, give me a quick uh, analysis of the of the uh, game. Well. You know, the the headline for this game is going to be the Notre Dame rush offense versus the Pitt rush defense. Pitt is 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 ranked uh, number one in the country uh, in rush defense. They, they only allow 60 yards a game, and Notre Dame is ranked seventh in rush offense, uh, averaging over 200 yards a game. So it you know it's that's the headline, right? That's that's yep. where we're going to see what happens there. Uh, but that's what everybody's going to be paying attention to. Great, great. We do have our first guest here, and we've really been looking forward to it. You know, he's a late guy because we were exchanging texts text close to midnight last night. Good morning, Rocky Blyer. You might be muted, Rock. Technology is fun. Yeah, it's a blast, isn't it? It's okay. We'll wait till you get connected. Just pop in whenever you get it connected. I had problems myself this morning. So anyway, um, this this Pittsburgh game should be the well, typical one we've had. It, it's going to be Notre Dame's stiffest test up to this point, no question. I mean, they they haven't really faced a defense like Pittsburgh yet, and and Pittsburgh hasn't faced an offense like Notre Dame. So you know, it, it's going to be um, that's going to be quite a battle. But then on the other side. You've got Notre Dame's defense versus Pitt's offense, which I think is going to steal some headlines because Pittsburgh's got their backup quarterback, Joe Yellen, uh, in this game most likely. Uh, Pickett is their normal quarterback. He he slings the ball all over the field. He's going to be out, I think, with an ankle injury. Uh, and so Joey Yellen's going to be in there, and he's a backup for a reason. And I, I think Notre Dame's defense is really going to be all over Pitt's offense. And uh, I – I would almost be surprised if Pitt could get over, you know, seven to ten points in this game. Um, you know what? I guess we're going to see, and we'll talk about this in Who Are You segment or whatever, but um, we're, we're all waiting for to get some uh, progress out of our passing game. Well, everybody should be healthy, so that won't be an excuse anymore. Uh, Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay, Ben Skoranek, all those guys are 100% healthy, according to Brian Kelly. So personnel is not an issue. Now, which personnel is on the field at the right time? That could still be an issue. We will see. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this pit defense is vulnerable, especially up the middle uh, with the tight ends. And they've given up yards to tight ends so far this season. And Notre Dame's got two really, really good tight ends in Tommy Tremble and Michael Mayer. And they need to exploit those linebacker matchups uh, and the fact that the safeties like to come downhill super fast to, to stop the run. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're going to be looking to stop the run against Notre Dame. So they're going to have to take advantage of uh, those safeties and those linebacker matchups and, and really make the tight ends part of this offense. They, they haven't really been targeted in the past game. So uh, that's one of the things I'm going to be looking at. 
Hey, Rock, I don't know if you can uh, hear me, but we're going to have the station give you a call. You can stay on video, and they're going to call you by phone if you want to do audio. Oh, did I hear you? Nope. Nope. Yeah, take the phone call, and we'll. Uh, he's calling you right now. Hey, uh, can, go ahead and continue your analysis, Vince, there. Well, some technical things with Rock. You know, Pitt offensively, which is going to be fun to watch because Notre Dame's defense is is – Top notch. I mean, they're they're first rate. Uh, I think ten out of the eleven players or positions played very very well last week, um, and so we're going to see, you know, what Pitt's offense can do. They want to throw the ball all over the place. Their rush offense is horrible. They average a little over a hundred yards a game. Their leading rusher averages thirty nine yards a game. That's Vincent out of the backfield, and actually Kenny Pickett, the quarterback, is the second leading rusher, and he's not even playing in the game. So. The, the rush offense is not very good. The pass offense is where they're going to make their money, and they've got a really good true freshman. Um, they got a really good true freshman uh, by the name of Addison. He's kind of that underneath crossing route guy. Um, he, he could be dangerous, but they're also going to take some shots over the top. Uh, you got to be careful. But uh, like I said, Joey Yellen is the backup quarterback, and he's a bit of a statue in the backfield. If we got rock or not, we got a little technical buzz in the background. Rock, no, you there? Two rocks. I'm here. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Sorry for the technical things. Don't you just love technology? That's right, too. Technology. Yeah, especially at my age. Man, oh, man, I yeah. thought I had this one work. But... Hey, 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 that's okay. Believe me, I, I'm, I'm not too many years behind you, and I hate technology. I always say, <laughs> like Ben said, it's good when it's worked, but it's terrible when it doesn't, right? <laughs> I know it. Oh, I know. I thought, wow, it would be great to uh, uh, be on live with you guys. But anyway. Well, you get to see our ugly-looking faces here. Can you still see us? Yeah, that's right. Go back. Oh man, oh man. Okay. So, hey, so how you? First of all, tell us how you're doing. You look great. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm doing fine. You know, like everybody else in this COVID thing, you're staying at home. Uh, <laughs> you know, you run your business from home as best you possibly can, and so uh, otherwise, uh, you know, things are. Things are fine. I'm mean, very fortunate. Uh, nobody here has had uh, any bouts with the COVID. Um, and so uh, my kids are all healthy. And uh, so, but like everybody else, we're just kind of hunkered down, looking for Good. today's game. <laughs> and Rock, I didn't catch where are you living now? Where are you at right now? I'm in Pittsburgh. Okay. Well, that's what I thought. So give us, give us a feel. What's the town? I know it's not like. Our- it's not like a normal game where there's all this hype and everything, but, but what's the feeling around there? They're Pittsburgh team this year. They've kind of what? I think they've lost three in a row here. Yeah, they are. You know, so it's kind of. I think the uh, you know the pit the, the the pit fans, the pit backers, those who went to pit and start, you know, they're they they're looking forward to this game only because it's Notre Dame, right. <laughs> and and it's exciting for them to be able to 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 watch that. Um, and uh, but in their hearts, they know this is not uh, a, a strong pit, pit, uh, pit team, uh, and um, and especially given the COVID. So there's you know there's a thousand excuses of why and so on and so on. But um, you know there's a lot of Notre Dame fans obviously here uh, as well, uh, and so it's uh, you know it's a it's a game that has historic presence. 
you know, we've played Pitt, uh, you know, throughout the years uh, uh, and going all the way back. Uh, and so it's uh, and so it's an important game. So there will be fans uh, there at the stadium, and they've opened that up. Not a lot, but they'll 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 be there, and uh, and 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 Notre Dame fans as well. I got an invitation to go to tailgate party before uh, this game, and you know you go. Well, I'd love to do it, but <laughs> right, they're they're actually having tailgates there, right? Because they don't they aren't allowed here at Notre Dame. Right, yeah. So, and I'm saying this is that it's not necessarily at the stadium. So there's oh. some uh, there's some venues around the stadium that uh, that that they can have it, uh, uh, gotcha. you know, outside. Yeah. Gotcha. This is the Legacy Heating and Air Game Day Show on 96.1 WSBT. We're talking with 1966 Notre Dame National Champion running back and four-time Super Bowl championship running back. Rock, when you were on a couple of years ago, I was telling Vince, I don't think that I asked you how you got recruited out of Appleton, Wisconsin by Notre Dame. Like, like who did that and how that process worked? You know, actually, actually, it was, um, and, I, and I have to tell you this, is that growing up in Appleton, Wisconsin, and in our household specifically, uh, is that we weren't big you know, we're going back in the 60s. We weren't necessarily big sports fans. I mean, my dad ran a bar. So there was University of Wisconsin. There was, uh, you know, some local colleges and so on. I uh, had a wonderful recruiter coming out of Notre Dame. Probably uh, gave me the best piece of advice uh, that I ever had at that time. You know, and he and he put it in and he put it in the context of this. He said, "Listen, because of the success we had in high school back at that time, he said you're going to get a, a lot of offers. And every time you may go to a school, uh, whether it be in the Big Ten, uh, they're going to roll out the red carpet. And by the time you have to make that decision of where you're going to go to school, um, it's going to." be confusing. Why don't you choose three schools that you would like to graduate from? Not necessarily play football at, but graduate from, because you never know what may happen during that career. And so I thought that was made eminent sense to me. So I had gone to, to the University of of uh, Wisconsin only because that was a hometown team down in Madison. Went yeah. out to Boston College because one of the guys that would stop in my dad's bar was a Boston College graduate. <laughs> <laughs> so was a good Catholic school <laughs> there. And so the third one, obviously, was Notre Dame. And uh, then I did uh, what every good Catholic boy was taught to do. And that was to go to church, obviously. You pray for guidance and direction. <laughs> then, like every good Catholic boy, I did what my mother wanted me to do. And that was to go to Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> so, Aaron so Pagna really liked that decision. That's right. So, you know, so you, you go. I, I can remember my freshman year. I mean, my first, year, my first experience on campus, my first class. We had a we had a, a, a luncheon greetings, and I and I walked in and I sat down. We had all these long tables, and all the players that were recruited that year as freshmen coming in sat there. 
And I looked at those guys and I said to myself, what am I doing here? I mean, these, these guys were old. They were big. I mean, these guys, guys had beards. I mean, like, there was guys that were bald. And I think they're 18 years old. I'm going, holy man. You know, so, um, but it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a great experience. Freshmen could not play back then, and so our freshman year primarily was practice and being scrub teams for the varsity. And so that was that magical year, Eric Parsegian's first year, turning the team around and going 9-1 and one and um, <clears throat> losing to Southern Cal that last game. We beat Pitt, uh, I remember that, our freshman year. And then... Um, then my sophomore year, I got a chance to play some, um, and I, I can remember coming to Pittsburgh uh, in that game in which we they ran the clock against Pitt in the second half. Um, we beat them. You beat, beat them pretty badly. Yeah. yeah, pretty badly. So they let the clock run out in the second half and so on. <laughs> and then I can remember uh, my senior year coming back here to Pittsburgh. And so that was my second experience coming to Pittsburgh, and um, it was an interesting. It was an interesting game. We won the game, obviously, but I can remember we stayed down at the Hilton Hotel, which is now the Wyndham, right downtown on the Point. And the night before the game, since I was a senior, I didn't have to go to a movie with all the other uh, players, so I got a chance to be by myself and. You know, and I thought, well, I'll just take a look around Pittsburgh here. And it was like, mm, okay. So I walked out of uh, the hotel, stood there looking across the river. There was this big hillside. I didn't know what it was. It's not not Washington, but anyway, so it's across. across the, and so they had an Alcoa sign that blinked on and off and on and off. And then I turned and I walked. Looking at the town, town. Now, so the whole thing about my experience with Pittsburgh was only what you thought, only what you read, and, and not necessarily what you saw. I'm going, oh, who in the hell would ever want to live here in Pittsburgh? Well, four months later, I get drafted here, and I've been here ever since. So it, 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 it has become, become home. But, um, Careful what you wish so those, for, right? Yes, yeah. So those are my strong recollections of, you know, Pittsburgh. Then, you know, and so in the 70s, obviously, when the Steelers started taking off, but so did Pitt, you know. And um, I can remember uh, in a couple games in the 70s when they had that young running back by the name of Tony Dorsett, uh, who uh, gained 300 yards against um, uh, yes. against Notre Dame here in, in Pittsburgh. I was at that game. Uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> whoa, I had, a, I, had a, I had a duck. A lot of people were getting getting even for the years that we had beaten them in the past. <laughs> and, and, you couldn't and get so down to the field. So. And, you couldn't get down to the field and trip him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't get out of the stadium. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> out of my seats. I would love to have done that. But, yeah. So, uh so it's been it's been a, a, a terrific experience and a great rivalry between Pitt and Notre Dame and uh, and it's and and, and so it, 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 this is just a continuation of it. 
So, so Rocky, I wanted to ask you, you got drafted in the 16th round of the NFL draft in 1968 by the Steelers, 417th overall. First of all, what was that wait like? First, I mean, before you got drafted, that seems like an incredibly long wait. And then what did it feel like to finally be drafted into the NFL to the Pittsburgh Steelers? <laughs> it was it, okay. So, so the draft, so the draft took place over a weekend. Um, didn't have all the fanfare as it does today. It wasn't on television. You know, there were no parties, you know, and so on. And I, and I you know, I, I, there was a certain reality and I know that I wasn't going to go in the first round, I mean, in, 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 or, 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 or whatever. Um, and, uh, so, so as I watched Friday night and then Saturday, um, and, and then it went on to Sunday, which was the final round of, of selections. And so my roommate and I and went out to dinner with uh, the Hickey family, which is in, uh, in South Bend. Uh, and they became very close friends with a lot of the players. And then afterwards, we were over there at the Hickey house. And the news came on late in the evening, um, and we're just sitting around having a post-dinner libation talking about the spring semester and where we're going to go and what's going to happen um, at that time. And so uh, the draft was in February. Um, I remember that. So we're sitting around afterwards, and we're just kind of talking, and all of a sudden the sports comes on. And just in the background on television. And so basically it said, well, today in the final rounds of the NFL draft, uh, several people were picked from South Bend. So-and-so that played at Indiana, so-and-so played at Purdue. Uh, and, um, and the Notre Dame's uh, captain, Bob Rocky Blyer, was selected in the 16th round by the Pittsburgh Steelers. There was a pause. <laughs> Crickets? turned and said, and said, uh, uh, hey, congratulations. Anyway, so what do you think about the classes that we're going to have to take? And that was it. <laughs> and and, uh, and so, we, so that's, uh, that was it. And there was Pittsburgh. And I was just happy to be, I guess, drafted, you know. And so um, at the time, and who knew what was going to take place thereafter, but that was that was our reaction of uh, of celebration <laughs> for being drafted in the National Football League. Wow, awesome. Tim and Tim and Tim and Vince with Purple Heart and Bronze Star uh, winner and author of the book Fighting Back: The Rocky Blyer Story, the aforementioned Rocky Blyer. Rocky, we're going to have to uh, cut it short here a little bit, but we just got a tip of the iceberg. So off the air, maybe I can get with you and we can get you back maybe next week again. Or another show later this season? Would you be willing to work with me on that? Oh, heck yeah, Tim! Anytime, and and, and by then I'll I'll be able to. Work this out so we, can, <laughs> we can make well, sure we'll, that. I'll definitely get because we enjoyed it, and we like I said, we got another. I know Vince has got a bunch of things I wanted to ask you, and I do too. Yeah, all we did, all we got through was college. There's a lot more after that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I know. It. So I'll get with you. We'll text back and forth to see if we can get you on next week's show or one of the other ones. And I want to see if you can work with me. I want to do an hour segment about the 1966 National Championship team. I've already reached out to Nick Eddy and Alan Page to see if we can get a number of you guys together about that. 
Oh, that'd be terrific. That'd be a great. Uh, that would be a great bro- uh, broadcast. Yeah, do that. Yeah. All right. Well, you go anytime. Your Jim, thank you. And, hey, Vince, uh, thanks. Go to the okay. tailgate party off campus if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> I will. All right. Be good. Thank you. Stay with us. We'll thanks, be back Rock. After a short break with Mike Golick Jr. from ESPN and Notre Dame on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT, your home for the Fighting Irish. Back to Legacy Heating and Air's Game Day with Tim Growl and Vince D'Addario on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. And, of course, our Game Day show is brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air. Temperatures will soon be dropping, which means it's time to schedule your $89 preseason tune-up and safety inspection with Legacy Heating and Air. Ensure your family is safe and warm this season. Schedule services online at www.LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com. By Edward Jones, making sense of investing. <clears throat> making sense of investing, contact Sean Stevens in South Bend or Bob Borlick in North Liberty. By Fisher's Barbecue and Catering, don't miss their second annual drive through trunk or treat today. Yum, six, yum. From 6.30 to 8 o'clock, <laughs> free kids meal at their new location at 213 East McKinley Avenue in Mishawaka. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, not all heroes wear capes. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana reminds all of us that we can play a role in ending hunger in our communities. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Four Winds South Bend, escape the everyday. And by Industrial Door of Northern Indiana, dedicated to providing the best in garage doors. Welcome back to uh, Game Day on a Pit Panther versus your Fighting Irish. 3.30 day kickoff on WSBT, our next guest has been kind enough to join us previously and you all know him from his playing days at Notre Dame and now on ESPN as he continues in a new time slot uh good morning Mike Golick Jr. what's up guys how we doing good my first question after hearing that sponsor tag about that is what was a meal like at your house with you your Jake your dad your sister your mom oh my (laughs) goodness they must have gone to the store two or three times a week yeah, expensive. A lot of big grocery bills that mom and dad are very thankful to not have to see anymore. So mom was a mom was extremely accommodating though. She shouldered the load on that one and and probably deserves even more credit retroactively than we've already given her for somehow holding it all together and feeding a small army. So did you go? Did you ever do trick or treating as a football player? Uh, I never did trick or treating as a football player. No, managed to managed to skate that one. I did always know the houses back when I was trick or treating though, uh, uh, that had the big king size candy bars. You had to know and kind of scout the area, just like anything else. You got to be prepared for whatever opponent you're facing. My opponent was all the other kids out trick or treating. I had to work smarter because I didn't want to work harder. I was a chubby little kid. I wanted to move less and acquire more candy. Were, were you the pillowcase guy or did you have like, you know, the small bag? You got to go pillowcase, right? Always. Yeah. Only veteran move pillowcase. I see kids now, you know, cause now I'm on the other side. I'm the one handing out the candy in my neighborhood. And now kids are coming up and they just wear a backpack on the front of their chest and they've got it open and they're just piling in there. Part of me appreciates the ingenuity. Part of me is a little nostalgic for the pillowcase. Well, see, you're, you were an analyst even back then. Exactly. Listen, you're always looking. You got that. You got that eye for things, and you know that's why I'm in the booth now. I'm just looking for people's snacks down on the sideline in the stands for every game I'm calling. So tell us about that. So how you like doing that calling? I listened to some of that game Thursday night. Watch you uh, on there, kind of high scoring game there or whatever. Uh, but uh, you did a great job. How you like doing that? It's great. It's a nice way to stay close to the game. You know, it, it's the most like getting ready 
and preparing for a game as a player. That's what I've said. The biggest difference between doing studio shows, doing radio now and doing a game is, you know, I get to go back and watch film for a game. We're talking to coaches during the week and you get to hear about what's going on inside these locker rooms. And, and that part of it's pretty cool. You know, we did, uh, we had Appalachian State this last Thursday and the game I was on, Sean Clark, who's their head coach now, was an All-American O-lineman for them. I was the O-line coach at Purdue when I was in South Bend, actually. He was there from 2009 oh, wow. to 2012. And so we saw we saw a fair amount of each other in the trips to West Lafayette, his trips to South Bend, you know, the, the, the stout units they always had up front. So that part of it's nice, kind of running into people that were in different spots, you know, might have played or played against or coached against, things like that. It's a cool experience. Now, now, Mike, we, we talk to you know former players all the time, and and of course they watch the Irish on Saturdays and, and things of that nature. Your job is to be an analyst. So when you watch Notre Dame, are you watching them as a fan, or is it hard to take your eyes off the trenches and be you know that analyst and figuring out what's going on? Uh, you know, I, my eyes stay on the trenches more because of the player. Like you just you got used yeah. to what we always were watching when we were playing, and so. You're right. Every former position always kind of watches their area a little more. And so for me, I'm trained on the trenches, but I watch Notre Dame games as a fan, man. It's brutal. Like I always thought that because I grew up a Notre Dame fan, kind of the way like a Braxton Cave did. And and so I, you know, Notre Dame could make or ruin my weekend as a kid. And then you come and you play in South Bend and you turn the page after the game. And we were always so good and level headed because you had another game to get ready for the next week. And so I thought when I graduated, man, you know what? I, I lived this now. I'm going to be more measured in all this. I went right back to being a fan, letting them ruin my weekend. I mean, when we lost to Texas in double overtime four years ago, I broke the remote in a hotel room where I was watching the game by myself. That was when I realized I probably need to rein this in a little bit, but uh, definitely still watching as a fan, I can assure you. Good job of reining it in. You don't want to go to these hotels and they got your picture behind the front desk. <laughs> oh, exactly. No, no. I made sure I like pieced it back together as best I could and just like put it in a spot where maybe they won't find it for a little bit. I can blame it on the next guest. <laughs> this is the Legacy Heating Air Game Day Show. Tim and Vince talking with ESPN Show co-host and college game day analyst Mike Golick. So, what do you see out of the offensive line this year, Mike? Yeah, it's been. It's, I mean, they're they're a really good group. I I think Jeff Quinn's done a really good job of continuing to build off of what Harry Heastan really cemented as his legacy in this era of Notre Dame football. And that offense, just a really technically sound unit. I mean, Banksy and Banksy and Kramer are just two monsters playing guard. I think when Banks a couple of years ago got into that lineup, it really cemented what this group is about. They're technicians, but they're nasty technicians. You know, Robert Hainsey at right tackles built a lot of the same way. Good pencil, you know, good Pennsylvania high school kid. Eichenberg's going to be a high draft pick. I, I think They've been great so far against certainly lesser competition. Florida State had a bunch of talent, but we know that's not a group that's really got its wits about it yet. So I think this is going to be a really fun strength-on-strength matchup. We know Pitt's a great rush defense. Notre Dame's averaging like 261 yards on the ground through this game. And quite frankly, what Notre Dame does best up front, I think matches and marries really well with going against a defense that does want to really knife up field, a gap-penetrating Pitt defense that's been the case since I was there, quite frankly. I mean, back in 12, we were going up against Aaron Donald, and now they've got, you know, Patrick Jones who's leading the charge there. They've got 29 sacks on the year. Like, all of this is a great challenge, but I think combined with the experience of this line and what Tommy does best as a play caller, I think we've got good antidotes that are naturally built into the offense. So let's talk about that 2012 Pitt game because kind of classic. I 
had to remind myself last night and watch about a 10 minute highlight reel of it. Um, my wife wouldn't let me watch the whole game over again last night. <laughs> That's enough football. But let, let's start. Give me your impressions of going into that, what you remember about uh, what you were warned or prepared for Pitt, and then kind of lead in how that game kept going until we get to those triple overtimes. Yeah, I mean, you know Pitt's always going to be a weird game, right? Like, that's just the kind of team they are. Everyone calls them the Pitt super weapon now, but 10 of the last 12 games have been single-digit games for Notre Dame and Pitt. That's that's just sort of the understanding. But even with that, like, we were playing them. We were the fourth-ranked team in the country. That was an unranked Pitt team that we played that year. I knew personally, like, Aaron Donald was playing on the other side, so we were prepared for that. Like, how are we going to address this guy? And, and they had had plenty of other great, you know, Jabal Sheard had been there before that. Him and Greg, you know, Ramius, who were the two end tandems, I think the year or two before, were guys you always knew. Great D-line room at Pitt more often than not. A couple of stout lines. From, we're going stick from a little bit. Oh, there we go. There we go. We're back at it. But, yeah, no, we knew, like, great D-line rooms back then. Offensively, they were going to have great running backs. You know, back then it was – you know, you were coming off of LaShawn McCoy and Deion Lewis and all these guys in the backfield. So you knew that, but still at that point, we were riding high and thought we were playing good football. And all of a sudden, you look up at the scoreboard, and we're down 21 or 28 to nothing, whatever it was. And I remember sitting on the sideline. There was no panic. It was just sort of like a – I remember looking up. I was like, are we really about to give an undefeated season away to Pitt? Like, that's what we're really about to do, which, you know, we watched Clemson do that a couple of years ago, so it's certainly something we'd have in common with a lot of good teams, but it was a, it was a very sobering moment in the middle of all that. Yeah, to remind um, our fans, you were down 20-6 to 6 with 14 minutes left and then down 20-12 to 12 with three minutes left. Um, and right about that time, um, you guys had – you must have gave – gave him 20, 10, 15 seconds to throw the, uh, the pass down to De- Devarius Daniels down at the uh, five or seven yard line and stuff. What the heck? I kept watching. That. I said, I need to get a stopwatch out, but if I can start counting them on my fingers, that's a lot of time for uh, you guys to be holding them out. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we knew, especially with Everett at quarterback that year. Obviously there were doses of Tommy Reese built in there as well. He was a great closer for us in so many games, but uh, especially with Ev, one of the things you knew about him was, you know, he was going to move around back there. It wasn't like Tommy where I know exactly where the quarterback's launch point is going to be, where he's going to be in the pocket, and I can block my guy accordingly. With Everett, you knew if I just give him enough time, he has the ability to make a big game-changing play. He had a live arm. He was really you know, really mobile back there. And so that was always our mindset up front is we got to block to the echo of the whistle and then some. You know, Coach Easton always said you can't have a clock in your head with a quarterback like Everett because sometimes will it get you into a sack? Sure, but more often than not, we knew it was going to lead to plays like that where he'd be able to help us out. So you just, you know, we, that's why we worked so hard. You know, we're out there 30, 40 minutes before every practice, 40 minutes to an hour after practice, working on all those extra bouts of mirror dodge and pass blocking drills because you knew that was when it had to pay off was in key moments down the stretch when your conditioning had to be in a place where you were able to go out there and execute that against the, you know, the great D lines of the world. You're listening to uh, Mike Golick Jr. on uh, WSBT's game day show. So you guys scored with 211 and you needed a two point conversion to tie. Do you remember what the call was it? Cause it turned into a scramble and a touchdown by Everett. Was that what was called? Do you remember? Or. Oh, I, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. A call for life me. I can say that that is that is quarterback and coach business right there. I'll tell you how offensive line memories work. 
I can tell you like maybe two or three good plays I had. I can do- I can go back and document most of my sacks. Like I can live through those moments mentally. Oh, really? As an offensive lineman, you're wired to remember your failures. That's how we operate. That's the only time your name gets called is when something bad happens. So I can tell you about giving up sacks to, you know, BYU, not tracking the right linebacker there. I can tell you the last sack I gave up in practice in training camp for the Saints. But I can't tell you any of the good calls that went into most of these games. Well, you That's didn't just give up mental. a sack on that play. Everett, yeah. Everett scrambled for a two-point conversion to tie the tie the game. Hey, talk about some of your offensive linemen team and Braxton, Chris Watt, some of the guys there. We had the best left side in college football, period, end of sentence. Like Zach and Zach and Watt on that left side were as rock solid of a pair as you're ever gonna find. Now, Zach on his own, Zach's the best football player I've ever played with or against. I the fact that he wasn't a first-team All-American at any point in college is still one of the biggest crimes of humanity, and it's proof that most of those awards are built on hype and nonsense and a lot of issues. So, And the fact that Quentin Nelson was robbed of the Outland years later, which is my secondary charge in life to always defend. But Zach's the best football player I ever played with or against. Watt is as tough a dude as you could have ever gone out there and played with. And him and Zach played so much football together. That's why we ran a lot of power where I was the puller and you could get a frontside double team with those dudes because you knew they were going to erase people on that <laughs> side of the line. That was what they did. We had the best backside combination block in college football last year. I'd put that year. I'd put it up against anybody. Braxton, tough as nails. I mean, one of the strongest guys I've ever been with or around was my roommate for four years when we were on campus together. So a guy I knew like the back of my hand. So while I was a late bloomer, it didn't start until Braxton got injured in 2011 that year before when I was playing center. Once I slotted in next to Braxton, it was very easy and seamless communication because the whole deal with offensive line and the running joke with our group that year was we spent so much time together that you never saw any one of us without the other four. Whether it was watching film before practice, eating meals, they'd go, coach wanted us, coach Eastan wanted us to be the most cohesive unit on the field. And so for me and Christian Lombard, especially who were the newcomers on the right side of the line, it was doing that, especially to help make up that ground. Yeah. I was a fifth year senior. I'd been around the program for a long time, but I was still getting a lot of those game reps under my belt that those guys had already had three years of on the left side of that line. And so to make up for that, you have to build that cohesiveness on and off the field and the way that you watch film and approach practice. And that group did it that year. It was a really close group. It was a great group of guys and one that I, you know, I feel so fortunate to have shared that season with because they're all really quality human beings too. Now, I mean, I know Waddy's back on campus now there as a graduate assistant. Him and Tommy are both, you know, seeing them on the staff and do the things they are now is really, really cool. You know, Braxton still lives in town there and, and works at Lipper, uh, you know, an RV components company right. with another one of our former offensive line teammates and Trevor Robinson. So mm-hmm. it, it's nice to still be around and see all those guys because they're, they were incredible teammates, incredible guys and incredible human beings. You brought up Watt and uh, you, you led me right into my next question. Since he's back on the staff, there's been a noticeable difference in the, the grit, the attitude uh, of the offensive line from last year to this year. And, and it, it's not saying anything bad against the guys from last year because uh, it's the same guys, but do you think that's his influence because of the way he played? You know, I just think – I feel like he has just put his personality into this offensive line. I, I, I think that's certainly a part of it. And again, Coach Quinn's a fiery guy too, so I'll give him credit for that. But Waddy, Waddy is just such a warrior, man. And I think understanding – the cool part about the Notre Dame offensive line room is like I go back there now and still know most of the guys out there. Like I got to meet Jaron last year. He was the newcomer at center. But – 
for you know Banks and Kramer and Liam and 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 all those guys. I you know you go back there and Coach Eastan did such a good job of keeping that room close even when guys left. Guys would come back and you could go out to practice and be right down there and you'd be you know busting chops with those guys. And so because everyone stayed close, all those guys know Chris Watt and what he was about as a player. All those guys know that he respects and understands the standard that's in that room. And because everyone has such a clear understanding of that, maybe Waddy was a little jumpstart. Because just in general, who doesn't want to go out? Like when you're around Chris, Chris Watt, we used to call him the juggernaut, like the juggernaut, because <laughs> he was that kind of just run through a wall player. And so I have no doubt that his attitude is probably rubbed off on a room that already understands what Notre Dame offensive line is about historically and certainly uh, what we've, you know, especially since Coach Kelly got there and, and when Coach Eastan got there the standard that guys know exists in that room, who you're playing for, the guys that came before you. These guys have seen all the All-Americans that came through even recently with, you know, McGlinchey and with Quinton and with Ronnie and all those guys. Like, you know what you're supposed to do in that room. And so if Waddy was an extra little reminder, I wouldn't be surprised at all. We're at ESPN and Notre Dame's uh, Mike Golick, Jr., Mike, in about 30 seconds, whatever, uh, game analysis. Give me a 30-second uh, preview of today's uh, Notre Dame-Pitt game. And where are you going to be watching it from? I am going to be watching it right from my couch here at home. <laughs> I am very excited to do so. It is uh, it is one of the rare days where I don't have to be sitting in Bristol by this point for something or other. But a um, uh, quick synopsis of this game is, uh, again, I think what Tommy has done really well as a play caller so far marries up. A lot of people say, when you're going up against a great defensive front, do you change what you do? Notre Dame doesn't have to because what they've been great so far are creative screenplays and getting balls to the tight end. In the last four games, Pitt's given up 204 yards and four touchdowns to tight end rooms that are far lesser than the one they're getting ready to go against now between Tremble, between Michael Mayer and all these guys, Brock Wright. You've got such a deep room there and such a creative prey caller because it doesn't have to just be downhill, gap scheme, zone runs. It's handoffs to Braden Lindsay. It's RPOs to Javon McKinley on the outside. And so I think all of those things that can kind of take the edge off the front, that if they get a chance, they're going to want to pin their ears back. Like, you got to hit them with this stuff early, first and second down, to try and back them off. Because if they're in third and seven plus, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be good on good. And Pitt's going to win some of those. Like, they got all Americans on that side, too. So that's, you know, that's the part that you don't want to see. But again, I think Tommy's done such a good job of, getting defenses off balance with play calls early that even if we haven't fully gotten the route tree going on the outside in ways they want to a pits back end outside of Paris Ford isn't all that, you know, all the greatest thing in the world either. And then on the other side for Notre Dame, our, our defense is so good and fast. Like it's, it's so weird for me as a lifelong Notre Dame fan to see a defense with this kind of team speed, like uh, Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa and Kyle Hamilton, move at a different clip than 90% of Notre Dame defenders in history have. These guys have a different gear. JOK this year, I don't know the development from one year to the next. He was really good last year. He is great this year. And so I think those guys combined with depth up front, they can roll through a bunch of the D linemen there. you got a solid linebacking core outside of JOK. There's just too much speed. They reestablished the line of scrimmage against the pit offense. That's going to be a Joey Yellen game more than likely. I, I don't think that they're going to have their starter in there. And their offense is one-dimensional. They can't run the ball very well, so they're going to have to rely on a passing game that, unfortunately, being one-dimensional against a defense is good. You might get a, a win here or there, but you're going to lose the day. And what do you think score? Got any score prediction? Are you a score guy? 
Uh, I'm not always a great score guy, but this is a game I could easily see being like a 31-13 game. Again, Pitt's going to keep it close early because they always do, but I, I just – Normally, Pitt scares me a lot more. Again, 10 of the last 12 games have been by single digits, but I think Notre Dame is, A, going to feel a little bit of heat offensively coming off that Louisville performance last week than was less than what they'd want, and B, just does things so naturally well in this offense that Pitt's going to have issues with with a one-dimensional offense on their side. All right. Well, we really appreciate it. Glad you can be able to stay at home. What's the snack you're going to have with your game today? Cheez-Its. going to mow down Cheez-Its. I got like three <laughs> or four boxes over here. I'm ready to go. Big time, easy snack there. I'm going to have to probably change out of this uh, this nice zip-up or else I'm going to have dust all over me. The toasty <laughs> ones, the large ones, or the scrabble ones? <laughs> oh, got to go with the large ones. Come on yeah. now. That's Big boy food only here. That's, That's right. All right, Mike. Hey, thanks a lot. You have a great day, and uh, go Irish. Hey, go Irish, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike. We'll be back on game day on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT, streaming at WSBTradio.com. Welcome back to Legacy Heating and Air's Game Day with Tim Growl and Vince D'Addario on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. And, of course, Game Day is brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air. Temperatures will be dropping, which means it's time to schedule your $89 preseason tune-up and safety inspection with Legacy Heating and Air. Ensure your family is safe and warm this season. Schedule service online at www.legacyheatingandairinc.com. Also brought to you by Irish Realty, Steve Smith Team. When buying or selling a home to building and remodeling, go Irish, Irish Realty. By Lechner Door, they open all the right doors. By Monterey Mexican Grill, authentic Mexicans serve fresh daily at McKinley and Division in Mishawaka. MontereyMexican.com. By South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. By Tim Grouse, State Farm Insurance. Get a trusted, familiar name as your good neighbor agent. Call Tim at 232-9981. And by Budweiser. Budweiser locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you. So, uh, great first hour. Um, we're going to have to uh, bump the report with Dr. Brian Radigan with the team because we're running a little behind or whatever, but I'm just talking to him right now. He's sending me something. He said, everything's good, team's healthy, 50 degrees, cloudy, go Irish. There you so, go. Uh, we appreciate his report. We'll ch- definitely check in with him at Georgia Tech uh, next week. So um, we know that you know there are – it's their defense against our offensive line. I mean, that's where it's going to be one. That's the headline, me, yeah. Yeah, give me in a minute. Give me one other area that everybody at home watching today's game is going to be looking for. Well, I'm going to go with the undercard, which is the Pittsburgh defense. I mean, excuse me, the Pittsburgh offense versus the Notre Dame defense. That front uh, pass rush for Notre Dame. The pass rush has been, you know, not great so far this season. Uh, not a whole lot of sacks. Uh, they've got under 10 sacks. Well, Pittsburgh has 29 so, but Joey Yellen is a pocket passer. He is not going to get out in space and run and scramble. So, you know, look for Notre Dame to really turn up the heat on the pass rush today. Uh, that's how Pitt wants to beat you. They want to beat you with the pass. And Notre Dame's going to get a lot of opportunities to sack Joey Yellen. And uh, I'm predicting four sacks today for the Irish, which I think would be a huge momentum swing for them. So it's a definite that their starting quarterback is out. That that is everything we're hearing. Uh, I had an interview with Chris Peak. He covers uh, Pitt Panthers earlier in the week. He said that uh, that he's out, but uh, Narduzzi is keeping it under 
his hat at the moment, you know, trying to fool everybody, I guess. But uh, from everything we're hearing, the ACC Network as well, uh, they're all predicting that uh, Kenny Pickett will not play in this game. All right. We'll be right back after a short break for the second hour of the Legacy Heating and Air Game Day show with former Notre Dame offensive lineman Trevor Rulin, former Irish National Championship linebacker Wes Pritchett, and 1999 safety Justin Meikle. Also, we'll be with the publisher of Irish Breakdown, Brian Driscoll, with another edition of Who Are You? This is your home for Fighting Irish Football, Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Our Notre Dame football Saturday continues with Game Day on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air. Here are your hosts, Jim Growl and Vince Tedario. And we welcome you back to the second hour of Game Day. Glad you're with us. Matt Embry's producing back in the WSBT studios. While Vince and I are still sequestered at our secret locations. We're less than four and a half hours away from the kickoff right here on WSBT. And we hope you'll stay with WSBT all day and into the evening. Because immediately after uh, game day at, at noon will be game day sports beat with Darren Pritchett and Sean Styers. They'll lead into the network pregame show. Then it's kickoff at 3.30 p.m. And then... After the game's over, join Sean Stars and Reggie Brooks with the official Notre Dame post-game show as they review the game, give you all the stats, give you all the interviews, all right here on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT, your home for fighting Irish football. And we are ready for our weekly segment called, Who Are You? And let me see here. And we bring in Irish. Sorry, I was going to go for my questions already. I better, I guess, I better introduce Brian. I don't see his face. <laughs> well, it's a "Who Are You" segment, so you got to make people guess. Who am I? Who, who is the person on the phone? Who are you? Is that a question like on Jeopardy? Who are you as as the publisher of Irish Breakdown? And the answer would be. Uh, yeah, I've never been good at Jeopardy. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's your name. It's Brian, Brian Driscoll is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Who is publisher Brian Driscoll? Ready to talk about yeah, football. I hear you're in uh, Pittsburgh, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ready to uh, head down to the stadium here in a little bit. But uh, it'll be interesting to see Notre Dame win their first road game of the season. All right. So, how, weird, uh, how weird is that since it's October 24th? I, no, I, gonna... I mean, I'm sorry to jump on your feet yeah. there, uh, Tim, but October 24th, Notre Dame has their first away game of the season. That That's just weird to comprehend. Well, the Big Ten has their first game of the season, so I guess it could be weirder. <laughs> That's fair. That is a fair statement. I, I, I've heard enough of all the Big Ten fans around here, how excited they are for the season to start. You know, they, they're a little late to the party. They're yeah. fashionably late. Yeah. All right, let's start out with a couple of ones here, and we're going we're gonna to do some winging today and everything uh, and stuff. Um, we're just, we want to get where we're at after the four games. We're going to get a feel on the team. But let me start by with, with this. As in, who are you? Are we a running team going into this year by design? Or are we a running team emphasis now because we're so good at it? Or are we a running team because we're so good at it and the passing is so poor? So pick any well, of the three. <laughs> I, think, I think it's more by design. And I think, I think in my opinion, I think they so over-focused on establishing the running game that, that the passing game hasn't gotten the necessary attention that it should. And I think that that is – prevented them from really getting to a rhythm. And I think one of the mistakes that, that, that coaches can make, especially a young coordinator like Tommy Reese is, you know, you kind of have something that's really good 
And I think you can over-rely on it, and you can especially over-rely on it when you're playing inferior opponents, where it's just kind of like, hey, let's just go out there and dominate this team. And, and yeah, that may work against South Florida and Duke and Florida State teams that aren't very good, but it doesn't get you in position to beat some of the better teams. And that's why I've argued on our podcast that I was breakdown that sometimes I feel like Brian Kelly gets too results-oriented, and he's not focused enough on, on process-oriented because it's the process – that puts you in position to win the big games, and that's still what's lacking from Brian Kelly's resume the last eight years. Vince? Yeah, I, I agree with Brian. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the run game was a focus, and it worked, and it worked really well. And the, the competition that Notre Dame has faced up to this point has has, has been mediocre at best, and, and that's not taking anything away from what the offensive line, including the tight ends and including – Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree and what they've been able to accomplish on the ground. That's not taking anything away from them because I think they've been dominant. They've been very, very good. Now, Pitt is going to give them their first test. Like I said, they're the number one rush defense in the country, only giving up 61 yards a game. Again, they haven't really played anybody that can run the ball either. So you're you're definitely strength on strength here. Um but I think that the offensive uh, passing game has taken a bit of a back seat uh, just because they, they didn't necessarily need it yet. Um, and, and if you listen to Brian Kelly, he'll say, you know, that the wide receiving core hasn't been healthy, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that excuse is out the window because everybody's mm-hmm. healthy going into this season or into this game. And uh, I think that's going to be important to understand because if we see – personnel like we saw last week uh, where they're trying to stretch the field with Ben Skoranek and uh, Javon McKinley and a tight end, for example, that's not going to get it done. You need different personnel on the field to make the defense take you seriously. And they're, you know, I'll give Tommy Reese the benefit of the doubt. I'll give this offense the benefit of the doubt. This will be the game where we see if they can be a little bit more well-rounded because as Mike Golick, Junior said in our last segment, the tight ends, man, that's where it's at. They have given up buku yards to tight ends in their first four games, and none of those teams have a tight end room like Notre Dame. They need to take advantage of that mismatch, and let's see if they do it. So that kind of leads into it. You know, I was listening to last week's show and talking about, of course, we, everybody thought you know, Notre Dame was just going to manhandle that that the weird 3-4 defense over there. So so who are we really on the passing game? We know Brian, he always likes to deal with veterans. And sometimes it seems like it takes off the these young freshmen out there that, you know, with the speed, like you said, to stretch the field. Vince, Brian, are we going to are we going to eventually see that? Is it just they don't have confidence? You're going to be able to see something maybe that no. Have you been going to the, the, the home games, Brian? Sorry, I'm changing. Yes, sir. Yeah, I have. So what are you seeing as far as we keep hearing for those of us that aren't there, the separation and everything? Is that just not happening? No, I think it's a cop-out, to be honest with you. I think the problem is slow, slow, methodical pass concepts. You're still acting as if you have Chase Claypool at wide receiver. And, and you know, this whole excuse of, well, the receivers haven't been this, that, and the other. Last I checked, the tight ends have been healthy and been at every game, right? Mm-hmm. And you're talking about Michael Mayer and Tommy Tremble being arguably two of your three best players from a talent standpoint. Why is the pass game not being built around them? Why have they only combined – for seven targets in the last two games. So, you know, that's not a 
you know, that's not a Javon McKinley problem, a Ben Skoranek problem. That's an offensive staff that is stubbornly sticking with what they know and what they do without looking at the specific talent of their players and saying, how can we build around the specific talent of our players, which is what every championship caliber team does. You take what you do best, you take your best players, and you say, we're going to fit our scheme around them. But what Notre Dame is doing, what they've done for years is they're going to plug their players into the scheme that they believe in, and that's not that's not going to win you championships. It's worked to a degree the last few years because you've had Chase Claypool, you've had Miles Boykin, you've had Will Fuller, you have had Michael Floyd, TJ Jones. But this year you don't have that kind of guy, not a receiver, and, and we're seeing it hurt Notre Dame. Well, and, and I'll, I'll kind of piggyback off of that because one of the things Brian Kelly said in one of his press conferences when asked about uh, heralded freshman – Jordan Johnson and why he hasn't seen the field, he said, well, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, Jordan Johnson's problem is that he's got all kinds of veterans in front of him and guys that have peaked late in their career. And I thought to myself, that's not a Jordan Johnson problem. That's a Brian Kelly problem. Like you need himself. What's that? He indicted himself. Yeah, that's exactly right. You, you as a coach, and, and, and that's him. And that's all the assistant coaches underneath him that deal with wide receivers. Okay. Uh, you need to find a way to get Jordan Johnson on the field. He doesn't have to be out there for 30 snaps a game, but he can be out there for 10, and in those 10, he can be a focus of the offense for seven. You know, I mean, that, that that's a coaching problem. That's not a Jordan Johnson problem. So I think it's the philosophy and the way that they look at these things and they look at personnel. They need to look at themselves in the mirror and, and maybe, you know, reconfigure the way they're doing things. Vince, I think you just made a great point. You said it's not a Jordan Johnson problem, and we've seen this before. Remember when Notre Dame was trying to beat Georgia in 2017? I and do. Chris Cam Smith, Freddie <laughs> Canteen, and Chris Fink combined for over 100 snaps, yes. while Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, and Cole Komet combined for 12. So right. we've seen this before. Yeah, it's it's a coaching philosophy. I mean, you can you can call it that. I mean, it, this is what they believe. They believe in their veteran players uh, to a fault. I think at this point, and they're doing a good job on the recruiting trail, getting these kids in. You need to use them early. That's Vince. I'm Tim. We're on the legacy heating and air game day show on WSBT. We're doing our, who are you feature with Brian Driscoll of Irish breakdown to get some insights into your Irish. And, uh, yeah, I hate the I heard this conspiracy theory, and I'm not into that. But I'll throw it at you guys because you'll just blow, blow up or whatever. <laughs> so they're not putting all these fast guys on and everything else. They're just winning just to get by to win because they're going to all save it and throw it all out there at Clemson. Something different. I think that know. is that is something that fans say to themselves, and I understand it. I'm sympathetic to it, to make them feel better about what they've been watching for the last month and to make them feel better about – you know, Tommy Reese being the offensive coordinator and these kind of things. But the reality is, is this is a pattern that we've seen. As I said, we've, we've seen this before, right? I mean, we saw this in 2017, as I mentioned, you know, Notre Dame did not play sophomore Chase Claypool, junior Miles Boykin, because they hadn't figured it all out yet. They didn't have the traits yet. So they played fifth year senior Cam Smith and fifth year senior Freddie Canteen and, and senior Chris Fink and those kind of things. And, and, uh, you know, that, that's that's something that we've seen before. And, and if they are doing that, that would actually be worse because no smart coaching staff in the country is going to go through six or seven games and say, let's not practice or get reps or get opportunities with what we think we're, we need to do to beat Kemp Clemson uh, and then wait until November 7th to do it. So if that were true, 
that would be one of the biggest indictments of this coaching staff ever. And I just don't think that that's, I mean, I've, I've never seen a coaching staff do that. Maybe for like an opener against like, you know, Austin P and you're saving it for game two, but nobody goes through six conference games and says, yeah, we're not going to run our stuff. We're going to save it for Clemson. Well, and on, and on top of that, um, they, they might hold a player to back or a concept or, or things of that nature, but it's not usually a personnel, uh, situation where you're literally holding guys on the sideline for half the season before you, you get to Clemson. Now, I, I've been guilty of that very same thought process going into every game. I'm like, okay. <laughs> this is the game where they're going to play these guys. This is a perfect opportunity to get some of these guys on the field. And, you know, and I get disappointed uh, every time. And so, I, like I said, as a fan, uh, I, I get hyped up. I get excited that they're going to do that, and then they don't, and then I just get disappointed. And then the analyst in me looks back, like Brian just said, and said, look, this is a pattern. This is something that they've done this whole time, so I don't know why I'm getting myself all excited, but I, I do it every time. There you go. I knew that would elicit some good responses from you guys. <laughs> so you each got uh, about 45 seconds to a quick analyst, and you can talk together if you want about today's game. I, I think for me it's about starting fast. I, I think this is a big opportunity for Notre Dame to gain some momentum. And, and Vince and I talked about this during the week on our podcast. I'm not as concerned about Notre Dame just winning this game. I don't think Pitt's very good. And I think Notre Dame could play average football and still beat Pitt. This, to me, is a, a game about Notre Dame making some adjustments, making some changes, and coming out of this game with some momentum, with some momentum with their pass rush on defense, with their, some momentum in their pass game, with some momentum with doing some different wrinkles because you want Clemson to have to worry about some stuff. You want them to see it on film. So to me, it's about Ian, getting Ian Book going. That is the biggest key to this game. Get Ian Book going. Get some confidence in him and his ability to push the ball downfield and his ability to move the chains. And if Ian Book comes out of this game on fire, playing well, then I'm going to feel a lot better about Notre Dame's chances for uh, being able to hang with Clemson in a couple weeks. Well, I I agree with everything Brian said, but one of the other things I'm going to be looking at, I I can't wait to see what Clark Lee's defense does to this Pittsburgh offense. The, The Pitt offense is not good. And they, they want to throw the ball, like I said earlier. They, they, they do not run the ball very well. Uh, Vincent, their running back, is their leading rusher. He averages 39 yards a game. Okay. Uh, Kyron Williams by himself averages more than the entire rush offense for <laughs> Pittsburgh. Okay. So that gives you an idea of how bad they are running the ball. I just think Clark Lee's defense is going to tee off on this offense for Pittsburgh. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fast. It's going to be exciting. You're going to see big hits. Uh, you're going to see Joey Yellen eat, eat that Heinz Field turf a few times, I think. Uh, I'm excited to watch that side of the ball. I, I think, you know, the Notre Dame offense, Pittsburgh defense, they're going to do a great job. It's going to be a great battle. But the Notre Dame defense is, I think, going to steal the show. It's going to be fun to watch. Well, you guys both got me excited. I can't wait to watch the game. I guess I'll have to watch a few other games before then. But, uh, <laughs> hey, Brian, how we get some uh, listeners get information on our Irish Breakdown? Well, you go to irishbreakdown.com, and in matter of fact, about watching the games before then, I actually have an article about what games I'll be watching today other than Notre Dame. I also have an article out at irishbreakdown.com about three things I'm looking for on both sides of the ball early in the game that are going to tell me whether or not Notre Dame is locked in and ready to dominate Pitt. And also, if you uh, if you like the banter that Brian and I have, check out our podcast uh, we, we put out a bunch of podcasts during the week. We got some great preview stuff, and uh, you can subscribe to our podcast on Soundwise, the Soundwise app. And uh, lots Sweet. of good, lots of good. Yeah, it's absolutely free. So go ahead and check that out. 
And then after you do that, then go to the WSBT uh, website or the or WSBT app and get our broadcast if you can't get right. all of it today. Which was great because I was listening to uh, some of the shows yesterday on my on the Sports Beat app as I was driving out to Pittsburgh. So it is a it really is a great thing. I love it. Appreciate it. Well, you go have a, a good day today uh, at at the stadium and uh, go Irish out there today. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Stay See you, Brian. We'll be back after a short break on Sports Radio 96.1 WSPT, your home for Fighting Irish. Back to Legacy Heating and Air's Game Day with Tim Growl and Fitz D'Addario on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. And our Game Day show is brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air. Temperatures will soon be dropping, as in today. Which means it's time to schedule your $89 preseason tune-up and safety inspection with Legacy Heating and Air. Ensure your family is safe and warm this season. Schedule service online at www.legacyheatingandairinc.com. We're also brought to you by Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Contact Sean Stevens in South Bend or Bob Borlick in North Liberty. By Fisher's Barbecue and Catering. Don't miss their second annual drive through trunk or treat today from 6.30 to 8.00. Free kids meal at their new location at 213 East McKinley Avenue in Mishawaka. Also by the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, not all heroes wear capes. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana reminds all of us that we can play a role in ending hunger in our communities. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Four Winds South Bend, Escape the Everyday. And by Industrial Door of Northern Indiana, dedicated to providing the best in garage doors. Tim? Hey, thanks, Vince, and welcome back to uh, Game Day. We appreciate you staying with us, getting ready for that Notre Dame kickoff at 3.30 day against the Pitt Panthers right here on WSBT. And our next guest can give us some insight into his friends on this year's offensive line. We can talk about the 2018 uh, game that he participated in. Um, he played Notre Dame offensive line from 2015 through 2019, played in over 30 games. Played right guard, left guard. I'm not even sure. He was a plug-in player. He played wherever the team needed him. Um, <laughs> comes referred very highly by Dr. Brian Radigan. He says he's a really good guy. So I know he's got to be that because we really like Brian Radigan. Good morning, Trevor Rulin. Good morning. Thank you guys for having me. Love Dr. Radigan. I spent um, probably a little bit too much time with him over my career. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, is, did you know him You know, as a friend or as a doctor or everything? A little bit of both. We had a... Uh, you know, it was a doctor at first, and then, you know, as the, the surgeries mounted up and my time with him got going, uh, he became more of a friend where I could vent to about my uh, struggles and going through all the adversity. Tell me how, impor- how important is that, um, that he was also a player and, and you know, all the aches and pains. I mean, he had injuries that uh, ended his career and everything and stuff, too, to have a doctor like that that knows what you're going through personally. Yeah, it's huge, and I think he brings a nice perspective. Um you know, obviously, talking about what I had to go through with how many surgeries and whatnot, he was he was like, as a doctor, I recommend you not to play, but as a former athlete and someone who's gotten to get to know you, I understand that you want to play. So, you know, take a shot, go for it. And uh, it was cool how he kind of managed, all right, we're going to be careful with you, but also I know you want to play, you know. You've been playing your whole life, and this is your last chance to, to play the game you love, so – Give it a shot. So he was uh, he was huge for me. So you were just telling us before we got on the air, we talked about we're going to talk about the you know the, the pit game in 2018, which was another really close game we played in. And I was asking you because you said you wanted to 
watch it to re relive the memory. So did you relive mm -hmm. the pain at the same time? Because you were in a lot of pain when you were playing your last few years. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, playing the game when you're actually out there, you don't really think about that a whole lot. Um, it's leading up to the game. It's the Tuesday and the Wednesday practice where you really start to feel it all. Uh, I thought you were talking about pain as in we really couldn't get the offense going. <laughs> you know, when you when you play a certain amount of games, like I was fortunate to participate and play in a lot of games, and even, you know, they kind of blur together, so I had to go back and, uh, uh, like, get my memory back of what happened. And, you know, pit play is really tough. And, you know, knowing some of the Pittsburgh guys, especially that I'm friends with, you know, Kurt Hines, Rob Hainsey, Josh Lug, they're tough dudes, and they take a lot of pride in their city and, I mean, this is no cakewalk talking about today's game. Uh, you know Pitt's going to give us uh, the best shot they have. So playing with those guys, all the guys that you mentioned in this year's line or whatever, so it's not surprising you how well they're, they're, the rushing game's going this year, correct? No, not at all. I knew coming into the year everybody was back besides for me. I don't know how big of a blow that actually was. And I mean, you look across the board, they're just all NFL guys, even um, – even the backups, you know, talking from my perspective, you know, I was a, you know, key contributor as a backup the whole, the whole, uh, most of my career. Guys like, uh, you know, Josh Lug and John Dirksen and some of the other backups, the young guys that I know have been developing, they'd be starters on, you know, 90% of the schools in the country. And, uh, you know, they're just sitting there waiting their turn. Um, they're dominant and I love watching them play and I'm super excited. And Kyron Williams is a stud, obviously, too. He's, I mean, the development he's had from when I knew him to this year has been crazy, and uh, I know the guys love blocking for how hard he runs. Well, you, you led me right into my next question, Trevor. I, I wanted to ask you about Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree. You guys haven't had running backs uh, in the recent past that can kind of make guys miss in the hole, and the, these two guys can both – they've shown that they both can do it, uh, which, you know – What's that like as an offensive lineman to know, okay, we didn't get everybody, but the guy behind us can make somebody miss in the hole? Yeah, it's uh, it's cool. It kind of reminds me of when I was blocking for Dexter. You know, he was, especially when he came back, um, his first couple games, he was, was electric and the spark we needed. Uh, he reminds They remind me a lot of him and their uh, open field speed. I've never met Chris Tyree, but when I've heard he's a great kid, and I love watching him play. Uh, <laughs> it's really cool, and even if the guys aren't the shiftiest, like I'm thinking of uh, Tony, we love blocking for Tony just because he would just run people over. Right, the shiftiest guy, but it was uh, it was always cool when he was dragging guys for a couple of yards too. So it's always inspiring when your back's just giving you the making you look a little bit better than you actually are. <laughs> We're with uh, Trevor Rulin, former Notre Dame uh, offensive lineman, here on the Legacy Heating and Air Game Day show. And let me ask you, we, we always like to ask our guests, too, about uh, when you're watching, now that you're not playing anymore, how do you watch the game? Can you watch it as a fan, or are you di dissecting uh, the offensive line and the play calling? And well, what, yes, what, what, you're, you're not that far out either, so that, oh, I mean. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I won't lie, it, it, it was, especially the first game, it was really tough, and um, I like to thank uh, – I think I had a couple too many beers when I was watching it too. Through <laughs> the game, I was just like, "All right, this is really, really weird." And it's also like I know what's going on. Like I understand like the plays that are going on and the calls that are being made. So it's it's really strange. And um, like I don't know if I'm a bad fan or something, but obviously I'd rather be out there still playing. But when I'm watching it now, I I have to be. You know, nobody can be talking. I have to be sitting there and watching it and 
God bless my mom and my sister and, you know, people I've watched the games with. I love them to death, but I, the bad questions just drive me crazy. I, I, I got to loosen up a little bit. I'm already getting into I'm already hey, getting into the game right now. Trevor, we talked to a lot of players over the <laughs> year. Your story is common, more common than you think. I've had people say they've thrown things at their wife when they came into the room. They cannot have anybody in the room with them when they're watching <laughs> the game. Yeah, it's uh, it's really weird and – I'm sure as the years go on, I if I don't know the guys anymore, I'm still obviously rooting for the Irish. It'll be a little bit easier, but like I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, "Come on, Liam, get your right hand in on your pass protection." And just like small <laughs> stuff like that. Um, I don't know. It, it's a different perspective. <laughs> My Mike Golick Jr., who played right guard like yeah. he did too, just was on with us this morning, and he said in the Texas game a couple years ago, he threw his remote at the TV and broke it and everything. Wow. He was so upset. I mean, how great is Mike Golick Jr. though? He's doing he's doing every game. Every time I turn on the TV, he's doing him. Former number fifty-seven too. Love him. That's true. Yeah, good point. Good point. So, I want to ask you real quick. Uh, you never had a chance to play under Tommy Reese calling plays. Are, do you see one game? Well, yeah, you're right. One game. Yeah. Do you see a difference in in kind of the way the offense is going then? Uh, besides the one game uh, last year. Yeah, I, I like his uh, dedication to the run. Like we're talking about maybe – I think he understands what he has this year in an offense. I obviously have no coaching experience, but I understand the game really well. Sure. Uh, he understands, you know, his strengths of the team is running the ball. And even if if they come out today and they only get two yards in the first carry and then a yard in the next carry, it's not like he's giving up on the run, which I love. And you love that as an offensive line when uh, your offense coordinator trusts you. Hey, just keep pounding it and one of them's going to break. And we've seen that all year this year. You, uh, uh, as I said in the intro, played right guard and left guard. Did you play any tackle? I don't remember. So I, I came in as a tackle. I was a tackle in high school. Okay. Um, and I knew maybe it was a long shot to play tackle. But, I, you know, I'm 6'4". Zach Martin was 6'4". He played a little tackle. Uh, I came in really athletic. Um, you know, injuries kind of slowed me down and moved me inside. And it was a better fit for me. I, I played center for a couple of years, too. So, you know, just – once you get to a certain age, too, as a fifth year, as a senior, you, you kind of understand what's going on across the board and just switching your stances, and it wasn't a big deal for me. So tell me, in, in the same game, if they pull on you from – because I'm not a player like you are. And Vince is a real analyst or whatever. I'm more of a fan. So you're playing a right guard, and then they say someone gets injured, and then you got to go play left guard or whatever. Is that, a, is that a big difference right in the middle of a game with the game plan you've got and everything? You know, if I was a sophomore and that happened, I would go through – I would be a mess. I'd be like, "Oh shit!" Now I got to flip. Oh, I'm sorry, swearing. I got to flip okay. everything. I, I got to flip everything in my head. Um, but you you also practice for these scenarios. You know, you never. It's never really on the offensive line too deep. You never really have ten guys necessarily. You have the five starters, and then you have a six man who has to play everything. Have to be ready for everything. So in practice, you know, a lot a lot of the role I had is. I would do, you know, one series at right guard, and then the next series I would be at left guard, and then I would take some snaps as well during practice just for one of those situations where you'd be like, okay, left guard gets hurt, you're in. Right guard gets hurt, you're in. Center gets hurt, you're in. you got to be ready for all of it. And, you know, versatility is so important as offensive line. Um, I mean, even talking going to the NFL, you know, they only carry seven, eight guys. You have to be able to flip right. It's just something that uh, is required now. That's Trevor uh, Rulin, uh, Tim and Vince here on uh, WSBT's uh, game day show. Um, so you stay in touch with the guys from last year? Yeah, it's a you know it's a shame I can't be there too because I would love to 
I would love to see the guys. I miss them. I haven't seen – I've been back, like, once. I had a job interview in South Bend, like, a month after I finished. And that was the last time I seen them. Uh, and it sucks, you know. I go from living with them and spending literally every second of the day with them to not being able to talk to them. Um, but yeah, I stay in touch. I talk to, I try to talk to a couple of guys a week, and maybe it's not, you know, get on the phone and talk for an hour. I mean, for guys still, we shoot a couple <laughs> back and forth. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was, talk, I was texting Tommy Kramer last night and Brock Wright last night. You know, a couple of former roommates of mine. Just, you know, hey, I'd love to see you guys sometime. Whatever. Yeah. And uh, just wishing them good luck and hoping for the best and healthy, healthy, good game today. Hey, Trevor, one of the things that our listeners love to hear about is kind of the recruiting process and kind of how things went down for you and, you know, maybe what some of your finalists were or was it Notre Dame all the way or, you know, kind of how that went down for you and, you know, your visits to campus, all that fun stuff. Yeah, so uh, it seems like a long time ago. Uh <laughs> I never grew up a Notre Dame fan. Obviously, I am now, but being in the Chicago suburbs, you either love Notre Dame or hate them. And, there you uh, go. <laughs> you can see from behind me, that's, uh, that's my dad's Iowa jersey from the Rose Bowl. So oh, I grew up wow. a huge Iowa fan, and I always wanted to go there. Unfortunately, or fortunately, they never recruited me, so I was a little too small, believe it or not. Um, so that was fine. And then, you know, Coach Heastan was huge, and, um, you know, I remember taking a trip with my mom, and we went up to – I really loved Minnesota, too, with Coach Jerry Kill. I went up to Minnesota. I went to Michigan State. I went to Northwestern. I went to Notre Dame. And those were uh, those were kind of my finalists. Um, I wanted to stay in the Midwest. Um, and, you know, Coach Heastan, I think, offered me on a Friday. I was there for a visit. I think it was in the spring or something. Yeah, it was in April. Um, he offered me on a Friday. And, you know, I had a good conversation with my parents on a Sunday. And I called him Monday morning. And I committed. Um, and I think I was the second commit in my, in my class. So I got it. I, you know, I think a lot of offense linemen don't really like all the flash with it either. Or I hope they don't. I was just like, all right, this is where I want to be. I'm done with it. I don't need to go visit any other schools. I don't need to make a commitment video or anything. Just this, <laughs> this is home for me. I'm done with it. Let me just enjoy the rest of high school and then, uh, go to my favorite place on earth, Notre Dame. And that's the story. What are you doing now? Uh, I work for a uh, freight forwarding firm, so uh, it's interesting. I'm a I'm a salesperson, so I'm an international sales for a, uh, a freight forwarder. So we uh, we ship things overseas, like big mechanical parts and uh, you know all sorts of good stuff. It's a, it's quite the adjustment, but I'm liking it so far. How's legs feeling? My legs? Yeah, I feel oh, your shoulder. Shoulder. Oh. You've had everything, so yeah, yeah, everything. Uh, <laughs> I feel fantastic and. You know, I, I had a really good plan with, um, you know, Rob Hunt and Mike Bean after school, you know, just talking to him about how to, you know, how to become an adult. And, you know, I, I think I played that Iowa State Bowl game at like 295, and like I'm down to like 210 right now. Wow. Wow. wow, wow. So I, I feel fantastic. And, I mean, the stuff I'm doing right now, I would, like, I remember, like, um, working out before the season last year, and, like, I could not do any of the workouts. I was just in too much pain. Like, I would do a couple sprints, and I'd go ride the bike and, it sucked, you know. It was hard getting in shape. Uh, I mean, this morning I ran five miles in the treadmill. Like, I feel great. And, great. You know, credit to um, Dr. Radigan, who you got, I think you guys had on today, and all the trainers. But I feel fantastic and feel like I can go play again. Maybe some tight end or something. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we need any help at tight end. Yeah, we got a, we got a lot of them. We got a lot of them. 
Well, yes. we appreciate you really t taking the time to join us. And uh, I will, as I knew what Dr. Radigan, Radigan's recommendation on you was going to be correct. And I will confirm that it was. But yeah, you're a good guy. And we appreciate you spending the time with us. Yeah, anytime. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks, All Trevor. Right. We'll get you back on next year. Thanks a lot. Go All Irish. Right, good. Go Irish, baby. We'll be back with Wes Pritchett and Justin Miko on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT and streaming at WSBTradio.com. May I have your attention, please? This is Tim McCarthy for the Indiana State Police. You are listening to WSBT, your radio home for Notre Dame football. And our game day show is brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air. Temperatures will soon be dropping, which means it's time to schedule your $89 preseason tune-up and safety inspection with Legacy Heating and Air. Ensure your family is safe and warm this season. Schedule service online at www.legacyheatingandairinc.com. We are also brought to you by Irish Realty Steve Smith Team. When buying or selling a home to building and remodeling, go Irish. Irish Realty by Lechleitner Door. They open all the right doors. By Monterey Mexican Grill, authentic Mexican serve fresh <laughs> daily at McKinley and Division in Mishawaka. MontereyMexican.com. By South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. By Tim Growl, State Farm Insurance. Get a trusted, familiar name as your good neighbor agent. Call Tim at 232-9981. And by Budweiser, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you. Tim? Thanks, Vince. And it is a game day as we get you ready for the Pitt Panthers here at 3.30 p.m. right here on WSBT. Don't have to change the, the channel. Just keep listening through uh, WSBTradio.com or on the WSBT radio app or at 96.1 FM WSBT. Our next guests are uh, involved with the Holtz Heroes Foundation we're great this season, uh, lucky to have a good relationship with Reggie Brooks and Tom Galloway, and we're featuring some of the uh, Notre Dame players that are involved uh, with the Holtz Heroes Foundation, and also able to talk some football with them, too. And we're joined now by uh, Wes Pritchett and Justin Miko. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Good morning. morning. How are you guys both doing with all this strange world we're living? Everything okay? Both of you healthy? Very healthy. Very yeah, I've been lucky in that regard. Yes, sir. Good. Thank you. Hey, Wes, uh, tell me a little bit about your involvement with the uh, Holtz Heroes Foundation. Well, it started, you know, it originated as Lose Lads, and I was always involved in that. Um, so we, I don't even know exactly when that started. It was obviously after Lou quit uh, coaching at Notre Dame. But the whole premise was to, to help ex-players or their families that were in need. That was sort of where we started, and it would be, a foundation that was founded by the ex-players and you know order and and we would try to give back to the community from for players or their someone that they could recommend that was needing a financial help and it's grown it morphed into Holtz's heroes and now Lou's gotten wants to expand the, the sort of mission statement and he's involved um, in more of his, his ex-players we actually hired Reggie Brooks to be sort of the, the, the man that's running the whole charity. And, uh, you know, we're trying to expand its reach, what we're doing. And we're, we're really meeting once a month and trying to come up with what is the true mission statement? How are we going to touch as many lives as possible? How can we raise as much money as we can? And how can we, you know, do, do it for a good cause and, and have a reason to bring guys that were influenced by Coach Holtz and his greatness, um, you know, to perpetuate something in his name? 
And uh, Justin, uh, Reggie spoke well. Both of you have been great ambassadors uh, for the university and for the Heroes Foundation. Um, what's your th your thoughts on the uh, foundation? It's a it's a very uh, inspiring mission in terms of celebrating the legacy of Coach Holtz and the uh, the players. And uh, to Wes's point, it's evolved over time. And the uh, mission currently focuses on the Lose Lads Foundation Scholarship Fund, um, but then it's expanded to include the Bobby Satterfield Hardship Fund, uh, which supports players who may uh, be going through a difficult time. And then similarly, they, we've done some partnerships. Um, the Bread of Life food, food Drives started in Staten Island with the Notre Dame Club and uh, leveraging the Lose Lands, Lads Foundation. That, that's expanded to 250 cities across the country where uh, we, we host uh, annual food drives. And then finally, we're looking at the uh, partnering with the Envision Centers in the uh, inner city communities and seeing where we can make an impact there. But as a, you know, the youngest member of the Lose Lives Foundation, it's been inspiring to me to see the uh, folks that I grew up idolizing as a young kid and were champions on the football field. They're champions in the game of life. And uh, this foundation kind of captures the drive and commitment to excellence that they've exhibited throughout their lives. Well said, well said. Uh, we're with uh, a couple of members of the uh, Holtz's Heroes Foundations, uh, Wes Pritchett, linebacker, 1988, Justin Miko, uh, safety, uh, 1995 to 99. Justin, let me stay with you for a second there. Um, we talk a little football here and stuff, too. Um, and doing some research on here, I've I heard you, you you are or were referred to as Rudy, too. You a little bit of Rudy, too. walk-on, correct? Yeah, and uh, ironically, the dream started in the orange at the Orange Bowl in 1985, uh, walking out of the stadium after Notre Dame had been beaten 58 to seven. You know, I was in tears as a young kid, and my dad promised me there's going to be brighter days for Notre Dame. Football. I played that game, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he promised me there'd be brighter days for Notre Dame football. And I walked out of there, and I uh, sent Coach Holtz a letter as a fifth grader in Miami, and told him I wanted to help any way I could. And he told me to focus on my grades. Um, from an athletic ability, the closest I came to being the caliber of Wes Pritchett was pretending to be him in the backyard. And <laughs> other was stands on the other side. Um, but I upheld my grade part of the deal and uh, Coach Holtz uh, upheld the opportunity to uh, walk on when the time came. So Rudy was very popular uh, in 95. So you know, it was only fitting that uh, the Rudy Two moniker was coined. Fortunately, he made a movie, and I've had to work for a living. <laughs> <laughs> but you got an ordained degree, so man, right? That's correct. No, yeah. no life-changing experience. So, Wes, you, uh, you, you, you obviously rightly so said you were part of that. You were there in 1985. Your team really lived the agony and the ecstasy, if there ever was. If they could do a movie about that, that and everything, so. Take me about that from the from that lowest point, you know, to the highest point. And I think you're I think you're wearing that national championship ring on your finger there. Was I that am, I am. I do have that on. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did. You know, it was um, we definitely. I used to say that we went from the outhouse to the penthouse, but you know, <laughs> we the first year I was I got redshirted my freshman year in 1984, and I don't know the exact stats, but if you go back and look, we lost I think three home games in a row. Wow. And I remember being booed off the field at Notre oh. Dame. 
which that was a probably all time low. And then in 85, that's when I first really started playing. And I played a lot in that game in Miami. Um, you know, Jimmy Johnson, I think they were winning 51 to seven and blocked a punt in the fourth quarter and threw a pass to score to win 58 to seven. I mean, they ran right. it up. They were obviously purposely here. Faust had also ad- announced that he was going to retire or mm-hmm. resign the week before. So there was probably uh, a little more action in the bars that week than probably should have been. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, that was, a, I mean, that was a stomping. Yeah. And so fast forward three years later, you know, I hated Miami. I've been quoted as saying that, I, you know, that when we, the Catholics convicts game, when they came through our drill and the fight started and, you know, the whole, I mean, I've never been that excited, fired up, I was fired up the whole week anyway, but when that happened, that was sort of the hmm. coup de gras. And, you know, I broke my hand in the first quarter of that game, never came out and had 14 tackles. So um, I think they were going to have to carry me off in a stretcher before I would not have finished that game. I mean, I was ready to kill them, and I still hate them. So uh, <laughs> with a passion. And, I mean, they were – look, they were they were the, at the top of – they had – I don't think they had lost a game in two years. Right. It was all – and Jimmy Johnson – was a great coach. They were way ahead of their time, the offense they ran. If you go back and look at the teams we played, all the teams we played had a tight end and two running backs. And Miami was one back spread offense. You know, we're sitting in zone. They would just absolutely annihilate you. And then if you try to go man, they would, I mean, they just had, they had today's offense and we had yesterday's defense. Thankfully, we've made a lot of big plays. We had a lot of really good players and, uh, and they went for two. So, um, and the rest is history. And the rest is history. After we won that, I'll tell you this though: after we won that game, that we knew we were never going to lose another game. I'd never, none of us ever thought that we would lose after that game. I mean, we knew we were good, and you know, we had a lot of un. Sorry to be so uh, wordy here, but you got to understand when going into that year, we had lost. We lost, got killed by Texas A and M in the Cotton Bowl the year before. So, right, I remember that year. You know, we had three fifth-year seniors, and we had something like six or seven first-time starters. Well, those starters were Tony Rice, Rocket Ishmael, Chris Zorich, Todd Light, um, Pat Terrell, Ricky Waters. I mean, you know, so they end up being some of the greatest players in the history of Notre Dame football. I mean, think about those six guys I just mentioned. Right. Those were all first-year starters, so we didn't know we were going to have all pros out there playing as sophomores. Um, you know, a lot of cool stuff came together that year. I mean, we had great chemistry, we had good coaching, you know, um, and we had a good team. So that's you know that's what it takes to win. And uh, winning the national championship and meeting the president was, I mean, I don't know that I've ever done anything that was more, other than maybe playing Augusta with Lou. Um, that's got to be pretty much the greatest feeling I've ever had in my life. We be. talked a little bit before we got on about Wes being an SEC country, and I thought it was a cool story that you shared, Wes, on one of our Holt Heroes Foundation calls when uh, on the recruiting trail when uh, Coach left your house and the conversation your dad had with you. Yeah. <laughs> Hey Justin, yeah. so uh, it was it was t- yeah. you know, hard to break away. I'd never been out of the South at Georgia at the time. Those were the Herschel Walker years, so Georgia was you know they were at the like they are now. So 
anyway, I'm glad Notre Dame changed my life. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. We won a national championship, which who would have thunk? And, uh, you know, I'm not a Rudy guy. I had a scholarship, but I went from 11th string to starting. So um, my first year when I got up there, I graduated from high school at 17. I'd played seven quarters my senior year. They looked at me and said, yeah, no, you go down there to the scout team. So, <laughs> I think I was the only scholarship guy on the scout team, to be honest with you. Well, <laughs> you you mentioned uh, that that talk that you had, you know, during your recruiting. What was your recruiting like? I mean, to come from SEC country up to Notre Dame. I mean, what what brought you to Notre Dame? How did how did that whole process go for you? Well, it's kind of an interesting story. I'm not Catholic either, and but my dad my dad loved Notre Dame. He so he grew up. He was a World War II kid and i guess notre dame was the only team that was on the radio or on national radio and he just always revered notre dame as as or regarded notre dame as like an, another level which up to that point they really were bigger stronger i mean all the kids were just you know at another level versus the rest of the country and uh we would they would always play at georgia tech and my dad knew the coaches down there so we would always go on the field at the notre dame georgia tech game and i would get the notre dame players autographs not the georgia tech player so i don't know when i was getting and then i went to a really good private school uh, academic school so i was getting you know i was more interested in a school that had good academics and i could play division one football so i mean i you know i was interested in like the uvas unc's dukes bandies um notre dame stanford you know i don't know why i didn't visit stanford but anyway so that's what that was basically the reason that i went to notre dame and then when i got to notre dame there was about 10 feet of snow and not really any girls. I thought, that's different up there. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. My buddies, the weather's great. There's beautiful women everywhere and everybody's having a lot of fun. And it was, let me tell you, it, it worked out because if I had gone to Georgia, I probably would have played a year and quit. <laughs> that's Wes Pritchett uh, from the 1988 uh, Northern National Team. We're with uh, Justin uh, Miko from the uh, 95 through 99. Hey, Justin, since you're over in, uh, in Pennsylvania and everything, uh, we've got about a minute and a half here. How about uh, giving us some feel of uh, what everybody uh, about the Notre Dame-Pittsburgh matchup out in Pennsylvania? What's everybody thinking and what's your thoughts? Well, Narduzzi's going to have a well-prepared team. And you look at what he's done over the last couple of years. He knocked off Clemson. He beat Miami when Miami was lined up to uh, play for the college playoff the last week of the season. So he, he, there's no doubt that he can get his team to rise to the occasion. It'll be interesting to see who they go with at quarterback if their uh, quarterback starts. Um, but I'd like to see the offense click a little more, take a few more shots deep. Uh, you need to get Braden Lindsay on the field. The, uh, there you go. Playmaker. You have to uh, leverage him. And uh, I'd like to see some of the uh, freshman receivers that uh, highly touted coming in. Let's uh, see what we can do with them. But undoubtedly, it's take away their will early. Um, you know that's that's going to be key. Don't don't let them hang around. They uh, they're a team that's lost three in a row, two of them by one point. The uh, last week they lost with a backup quarterback, um, but they have a lot of talent. And uh, don't don't be mistaken, Arduzzi going back to Michigan State. He's always played Notre Dame tough. Um, we've had luck taking shots. His, his corners have a tendency to play extremely aggressive. Um, so picking up a lot of uh, pass interference calls, those types of things. But and when you get into the uh, inside the red zone, you can't settle for field goals. You know, that was one of the frustrations last week. You run the ball sure. 
get inside the 20 and start passing. Just if you can run the ball down somebody's throat, run it down their throat. Say who you are. That's right. You got it. You got it. Both of you want to give a score as we close out here? Justin, are you guys into score given? Sure. I say 28-10 Notre Dame. 28-10. I like well, that. I'll go with uh, 31-17. 31-17. I think those are all fair. What do you think, Vince? Pretty fair? No, I think that's really fair. I, I Like I said, I, I'm, I'm excited to see Notre Dame's defense against this pit offense. I, I just think that they're going to dominate, and that's going to be – it's the undercard going in, but they might get some of the headlines coming out. We'll see what happens. All right, gentlemen, we sure thank you for joining us today. We hope you have a great day today and uh, watch Notre Dame to a win. Go Irish. Go Irish. For having us. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. Notre Dame's uh, coverage for WSBQ continues. We have game day sports beat following our show. Then it'll be the Notre Dame pregame show and then the Notre Dame game kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Then afterwards, please join Sean Stiers and Reggie Brooks for the official postgame show. Please join us back here next week at 10 a.m. as we get you ready for the Fighting Irish versus the Yellow Jackets of Georgia Tech. For Vince D'Addario, this is Tim Brown. You're listening to the Legacy Heating and Air Game Day show on your home for Fighting Irish football. Great sports radio, 96.1 WSB. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today.